the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time you might be listening to this. It is another episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. As we move into another week of football season, uh, the seasons are changing. It's finally actually fall, which means I'm a little stuffy and draining my nose and coughing a lot, so I apologize for that in advance. I am Joe Lonergan, Western Kentucky Conference USA blogger at UDD, and thankfully to get you guys through the show and carry me through all my sniffling and coughing is uh, Mr. Eric Henry, our fantastic FIU beat writer. All well, things. Joe, uh, I will be here. I am Eric Henry, FIU's beat writer for Underdog Dynasty, and yeah, you know, I, I know... Uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a struggle. I can understand how it is with the season's changing, but hey, that's why uh, we're a team, buddy. You know, I'm here. I've got your back on Twitter when uh, the uh, mean green faithful are, uh, are attacking my uh, my co-host. And uh, I can <laughs> go ahead and try to get us through together as a team through this podcast. Oh, we don't have to get into that too much, uh, <laughs> but no, I appreciate it. Uh, as, I ch- as my voice goes from one octave to another with all the things in the way of... The sounds coming out clearly as I struggle for words this morning. Uh, but we'll, we'll go ahead and not delay the inevitable any longer and get into the week that was in week three for Conference USA. Uh, Charlotte somehow managed to walk away with a win 28 to 25 against Old Dominion in a game that was moved up to Friday because of the hurricane on the East Coast there. Uh, this win by no means takes Brad Lambert off the hot seat, but this maybe places an ice cube on what is, without a doubt, the hottest seat in Conference USA right now. Uh, Chris Reynolds and Benny LeMay both look pretty good, look comfortable for the 49ers. On the ODU side, every week I get a little more convinced that Jonathan Duhart maybe has a future in football. <laughs> uh, seven catches for 127 yards and a touchdown in this game. Um Looking more and more NFL ready as the season goes on. But, uh, Old Dominion as a team, uh, was in this thing most of the way, but two interceptions by Stephen Williams certainly did not help things. So, Eric, I ask you this. Is Charlotte a little better than we thought, or is Old Dominion just really bad right now? Joe, uh, you know, can the answer, I'm going to go ahead and push, and can the answer be both? Because, you know, I don't know what's going on with Bobby Wilder's club. Two years ago, they won 10 games. Last year, they narrowly missed a bowl by a game. Uh, and, and they had an extremely young QB in Stephen Williams. But this season's been nothing, nothing short of a disappointment. Uh, Charlotte, are they a little bit better than, than maybe we projected? That's a possibility and something we'll get into and when we preview uh, their matchup next week is that, I, in my opinion, I think if they can beat UMass, then Brad Lambert's hot seat should be icy cold because uh, three wins for this team is is uh, nothing short of a miracle in, in my opinion. But uh, just to focus on ODU for a second, you know, John Duhart, having seen him in person uh, two weeks ago, excuse me, I didn't see him in person, uh, that was uh, FIU road game, but he is, for a man of that size, his speed and athleticism is just off the charts. I saw him take a slant pattern 75 yards for a touchdown and just, you know, break away from the uh, FIU defense. So it's not like the talent isn't there. I guess my my biggest question, Joe, would be 
Steve Williams, you know, you've got to find out, is he the guy? And I've, I've, you know, I won't belabor the fact that I'm a fan of his. You know, I've said that repeatedly on, uh, over the podcast the past few weeks. But he's just not, he really looks like he's regressing at this point. And, and you know, I've made uh, a big deal about his age, being an 18-year-old sophomore. Um, I, I'm just not sure what they have. Uh, I think they have a really talented guy, a really talented prospect. But, you know, there's no reason for this team to be winless. You talk about a guy like O'Shane Zimenez on, on defense, who did have a sack, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't dominate the game. And, and Charlotte, hey, let's not uh, take any credit away from the 49ers. They got the win, but this, in my opinion, this is more about ODU being that, not necessarily bad, but but they're just underachieving as opposed to the 49ers really, uh, really being that good of a team. But, hey, they got the job done, so... <clears throat> Sure, and moving forward, Old Dominion's schedule certainly doesn't get any easier. After what we've seen from them the first three weeks, what do you think your new projected win total for Old Dominion is this year? Two. Two? Yeah, I mean, I I just can't see it. It's one of those things, Joe, where the club just starts free-falling, and you can't really recover from that. And, and, you know, that opening week loss of Liberty really set the tone for their season, so two, maybe three max, and, and that's a shame because they're they're much more talented of a team than uh, than that. I certainly agree with you. And you know, maybe we'll get maybe we'll see them eclipse that uh that two win uh benchmark. Maybe we won't, but um with as t- with as much talent as uh they have in just Jonathan Duhart um it would certainly be a shame if they did not achieve that feat. Um Talking about other teams that have been mostly disappointing so far, Western Kentucky, who dropped another game to Louisville 20-17. to Credit to WKU with how they were able to correct a lot of the issues from the previous weeks. Um, offensive line still had some issues, um, but the running game was probably better than it's been in the last two seasons with 168 yards against the Cardinals. Based on what I saw out of him in this game, and what I know he can do from spring, fall, and his high school days, I think Davis Shanley just needs to be the definitive QB1 moving forward. And based on the depth chart that Mike Sanford and co. put out earlier this week, it seems like that's what they're going to do. Um, and his ability to run the ball just gives WKU a whole other dimension to their offense, which is something they need right now when protection breaks down or when they need to, you know, run the, run those, um, run pass option plays, which they scored on twice, both the touchdown to Cal Fortenberry that he threw and his rushing touchdown were both run pass option plays and just having him in the game, um, which, and, you know, Planning around him and um, Kavaris Thomas actually has sort of a similar skill set, so I think just moving forward with both those guys is kind of the way they need to go right now. Um, but moving away from the quarterbacks, that block field goal was absolutely huge, too, in this game. It was a, a big momentum shift in favor of Louisville, and I swear, with Western Kentucky the last two years, the amount of special teams plays this team has been involved in that could be set to the Benny Hill music is just unsettling. Um, a better game, I guess, all around, but still insanely disappointing, given how this WKU team was up by two TDs at one point and still managed to lose. Yeah, Joe, you just touched on a note I had here about the special teams and the block field goal because that's just such a huge momentum switch, you know, and and it's a swing in points. You know, it's three points going the other way. Um, for Western, 14-3 going to halftime. <clears throat> just couldn't finish the job. Uh, something that has to be concerning for Western fans, Western Kentucky fans, is that they've lost five straight games dating back to last year. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're going to lose 15 straight, but you just you want to get in the win column. Uh, and 
You know what on David Shanley, uh, you know, I, I, I'm right there with you. He stepped up, performed really well. He performed well enough for, for Western Kentucky to win the ball game. And I completely agree with you. Um, you know, we have the, the three-headed quarterback, uh, competition with David Shanley, uh, Drew Eccles, Steve Duncan. Why don't we go ahead and just kind of, uh, table that right now and go with David Shanley. Uh, especially the, the season starting off 0-3. I think you want to see what you have in him. Uh, for Louisville, you know, Malik Cunningham was the guy. Um, don't really have much more on the field with this team, but I think the focus has to be on, uh, Mike Sanford the second. I, I, I just, you know, the, the Wisconsin game, sure, you know, I, it was 33-3, to correct me if I'm wrong, or 30-3, I believe that, that final score was. But I think the game was much closer than that, and, and we kind of harped on Mike Sanford, who had a controversial play called down there um, close in, the, uh, in Wisconsin territory and called a trick play. Um, I don't want to belabor that on, on that play call three weeks later, but I think the focus has to be on him because this is a team that he, he inherited a very good program, and, and right now they're just not playing up to expectations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and the fact that they're not playing up to expectations and the blame at this point needs to be on the coaching staff at, at some point. Um, but I will say in this game, the play calling was, you know, significantly better than what I've seen, um, with the, especially with the hook and ladder at the end that kind of set them up to, uh, tie it with the very long field goal. And I mean, you know, gotta love Ryan Nuss, that 52 yarder at the end of the game. That's not the situation, you know, you want to put him in, and it's not a situation he's proven to be particularly effective in. But, you know, that play call is what even gave them a chance at the end. Um, so I think that aspect of the coaching staff has been, you know, it was, it was improved in this game, just as, you know, the players showed some significant improvement in what they were able to do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's execution and Western did not execute when they got in the red zone. Uh, they didn't execute well on, on special teams like we talked about. Um, there was just several moments in that game that could have been huge for them and they just couldn't pull it off. And, you know, Mike Sanford has, seemingly taking responsibility for that in the days following. It starts at the top and everything kind of trickles down to the players. So, um, again, a huge bummer that they weren't able to win this game because it would have been massive for morale and recruiting beating an in-state opponent um, in their house. Um, I know they they take a lot of pride in beating the other teams in the state of Kentucky, but um, that's just the way the cards fell. So hopefully they get it together moving forward. Um, Moving along in the show as I sniffle into my t-shirt because I forgot my handkerchief. Uh, Georgia just absolutely obliterated Middle Tennessee State 49-7. to um, Complete dominance by the number three team in the country here. Uh, they tried really hard, or I tried really hard to find positives for MTSU in this one. And here's what I came up with. Patrick Smith maybe needs to be a little bit bigger piece of what they're doing moving forward. I really liked what I saw out of the whiteout in this game. Uh, the offensive line actually played pretty well, all things considering. Uh, Georgia had no sacks and only two TFLs in the night. Other than that, the talent gap was just very evident in this one. Um, MTSU is, you know, by no means an SEC team. <laughs> 
Yeah, Joe. Um, it's funny you mentioned the offensive line because that's something that I did notice. You know, I I don't want to come here and just crush Middle Tennessee State. Uh, felt I might have been a little bit hard on them. You know, using my my line that they just were there to show up and cash the check and get back to uh, Tennessee. But uh, but uh, <laughs> they, that is exactly what happened. You know, um, they arrived, they played the game, got the check, and then I'm sure it was deposited in the bank account by the time the Blue Raiders were back in Murfreesboro. Um, not a bad game for Brent Stocksville. You know, the uh, the offensive line was able to keep him upright. But Georgia showed why they're title contenders. Uh, Jake Fromm had an easy day, and Elijah Holyfield showed that he is the real deal and a nod to his father. Um, not much of a surprise there. Uh, but, you know, for, for Middle Tennessee State, it's it kind of is what it is at this point. Um, it's, it's the last, well, what could be the last year of Brent and Rick Stockstill together. So just kind of enjoy the ride while you can, but you couldn't have expected a, a W heading into Athens. Is Elijah Holyfield, that's Evander Holyfield's kid? You got it. Huh, that makes sense because uh, MTSU got punched in the mouth in this one. Uh, the next one that uh, we don't have to spend too much time on because there's not really a whole lot to glean because we already know that UTEP football is not in good shape as they lose 24-0 to the Tennessee Volunteers uh, in Rocky Top. Uh, total passing yardage for UTEP in this game, 39 yards and uh, 95 rushing yards on top of that, 12 punts. Seven first downs. Um, now, this was how this wasn't more than a 24 point loss with as bad a stats as I just read off. I'm not really sure. But um, Kyle Loxley did not play well. UTEP did not play well at all as a team. So things go from uh, worse to um, even worser. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe, I guess I'll jump in and be the optimist here. Uh, you know, like you said, there's not a, you don't want to spend too much time on this game because it kind of is what it is. But for minor fans, he only lost by 24 and heading into, into a, a tough place of playing Neyland Stadium. I think that's a win, although there, you know, aren't necessarily things as moral victories. I think you have to be encouraged by that. Uh, they just couldn't get anything going on offense, as you, as you noted. Kai Locks was held in check as a runner, as a passer. Uh, nice game for Dylan Parsi on D. Uh, they just, Got to look ahead next week as they try to get that first W. But you know, I I, I have to be encouraged. You know, they're they're. It's one thing, Joe, to go in and just look overmatched and, and look like you're you're quitting, and you don't see that out of UTEP. So at least as a if you're a minor fan, you have to be pleased with that. Sure, I suppose so. I mean, there's only so much you can do against a team uh, like Tennessee who are uh, playing. Relatively well right now, and playing at home in an SEC environment is never an easy thing to do. So, um, I guess if you're a minor fan, like Eric said, glean what positives you can from that and move on along. Um, another game where uh, there's actually some significant positives to take for the Conference USA team: UAB 31, Tulane 24. Rushing game kind of got back to their old ways against the Green Wave. 269 yards on the ground, 101 yards and a touchdown for Spencer Brown. And a defensive ta- defensive touchdown helped things along significantly as well. Not a great day for A.J. Early. 180 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. Um, this game was probably a little bit closer than it should have been. Uh, Eric, what would you think of how the Blazers came out against the uh, New Orleans school from the American Conference? Yeah, Joe, um, you did say there that last line, this game's probably a little bit closer than it should have been. Uh, I think that kind of comes out to AJ early in the two picks. That was a bit of a rough night for him passing, but you know, he uses legs to get in the end zone and that's a, a dynamic that he brings. Overall, 
I was really pleased. Great win for UAB. Uh, I really want to see them bounce back after a disappointing loss last week. Spencer Brown back his old form, uh, rushing over 100 yards. And there was no James Noble III, but I, a, guy, a kid I like a lot who's from down the road in North Fort Myers is uh, Lucius Stanley. He filled in well with 56 yards. And uh, Kingston Davis also, uh, I believe, had 10 or 11 carries for about 35 yards. So he uh, filled in the, the gap. And one thing that I want to note here for UAB is he did a great job defensively on a very talented two-lane quarterback in Jonathan Banks. Uh, they, they pretty much shut him down from from the word go. So great win for UAB. Glad for the for the Blazers to get back in the win column and and hopefully can keep things going, get it going uh, going forward into uh, conference play. As a self-proclaimed big A.J. Erdely fan, uh, what do you think of what he's been able to do so far this season? I am. I am. I really do like A.J. Erdely. And here's the thing, Joe. Um, I just want him to play his game. So in order for him to do that, he can't turn the football over. He doesn't have to try to be the second coming of Drew Brees or, or Tom Brady, but just use his legs to extend plays, use his legs to, to create plays when it's not there, turn around, hand the ball to Spencer Brown, and make the throws that are there. Uh, so obviously, you know, a little disappointed in the two interceptions, but, you know, hopefully he can, uh, he can bounce back. Just play his game. If he just plays his game, UAB has a great shot to, uh, to contend in CUSA. Certainly, and I think a lot of us were picking them to win CUSA West at the beginning of the year. However, I don't <coughs> – sorry. I'll make a note of that for Taylor to cut that out. Um, but uh, at the beginning of the year, we picked UAB to win Conference USA West, and right now it's looking less and less likely that that's going to happen because North Texas is just blowing people out of the water, looking like the flagship program of Conference USA. Like I said last week, um, they did not just beat Arkansas. They destroyed them 44-17. to So many great things from the mean green there. Mason Fine threw a touchdown and ran for another one. Six turnovers by Arkansas were kindling to the fire here. All of them were interceptions. One went for a score. A fake fair catch also led to a 90-yard punt return for a TD, one of the craziest plays I've ever personally seen. Offense, defense, and special teams are just firing on all cylinders right now in Denton. Yeah, Joe. You know, this is a this is a game that I've had on my eye for for a couple months now because I really thought that North Texas was going to go into. Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, get the W. Uh, they did just that. You know, I'm really happy to see a CUSA team go into SEC territory and, quite frankly, just obliterate Arkansas. Mason Fine is an excellent player, and I had no doubts that he'd be able to, uh, he, excuse me, he'd be able to hold his own and wouldn't be phased by going into a uh, hostile SEC territory. 281 yards passing for him. Jalen Darden was the leading receiver as opposed to Jalen Guyton or Rico Bussey, but that's okay because that just shows the Mean Green have a lot of definite receiver. And you mentioned off the top, the Mean Green D, six picks. You know, you want to talk about demoralizing a team, that's how you do it. Great way to step up and make a statement for the rest of CUSA and you know, I just uh, don't want to belabor this point too much, but Mean Green fans, we're not the enemy. Uh, I, hopefully, we're going to negotiate the budget to, uh, to do a show live from Denton, and I'm sure Joe and I would like to get a, a nice meal while we're <laughs> in this hypothetical uh, Denton trip. So, guys, uh, we, we're, we are fans of the Mean Green, and, and, you know, great win for them. So, show them all the love in the world here. Most of that budget's going to go to a security detail for me at this point. <laughs> My God. Um, that, uh, that, that probably is the case, Joe. Jesus. Um, 
Right. And, you know, certainly just North Texas looking fantastic. Uh, looks great last year as well before they ran into an FAU team that was uh, just very good as well. Um, but with all the success that South Luttrell is having and how he's elevating North Texas, you know, is it safe to say that he's bound for a jump to the Power Five relatively soon here? This is where, you know, you kind of have the battle of head and heart here, Joe, because mm-hmm. personally, I, I you know, I, as listeners of this uh, podcast may know, I'm a UCF alum, and UCF just had Scott Frost bolt for uh, quote-unquote greener pastures. But here's the thing. I, I really would like to see Seth Luttrell stay because when you go and you take that P5 job, uh, maybe before you're, you're, you're ready for it, the expectations are so huge, and I, and I just like to see coaches just build something from scratch. You know, not that North Texas was building from the ground up. You know, they've they've had success in previous years, but they've got a nice thing going, and I, I really hope he stays. Uh, so maybe that's my heart talking over my head, but I, I I don't think so. I hope he stays. I think he will stay. I mean, it would certainly be good for Conference USA if you know North Texas kept playing at this level for a few more years. Um, but you know, if if I'm Seth Luttrell and the P5 comes knocking and, you know, I don't know how much I can really turn down that check if I'm being completely honest. But, uh, you know, I think at this point, if you're a North Texas fan, just ride this while you can, enjoy it. Um, because like, you know, like you said with, uh, with UCF and Scott Frost and certainly seen this play out many, many times with, uh, with any P5 school and or with any G5 school, uh, you know, I saw it with Western Kentucky and what happened with uh, Brom and Willie Taggart and, you know, even, even Bobby Petrino. Um, exactly. When the P5 comes calling, it's a very hard thing to kind of turn down. Um, and, hell, I went to Louisville, and uh, the same thing happened to Charlie Strong <laughs> when he when he left. So. No, Joe, I was just going to say really quick, you made a really good point and something that I, I can't, you know, although I, I'm picking with my heart and hoping he stays, I'm not going to, you know, stop any coach or any person from getting a check. And, and the money that a P5 can offer just is something that G5s can't compete with. So you make a good point there, and I think that should be noted. Fantastic. Um, so I, I, I made a good point. Marking it down. <laughs> you make some... many good points, Joe, but oh. the point about the money was one that I, I should have considered. <laughs> No worries. Um, UTSA kind of hung in there against Kansas State. I'm not really sure what to think of UTSA right now with how they're playing. They're kind of a mixed bag. Um, But the Roadrunners just did not capitalize on enough scoring chances here. Did force two turnovers, which is something to be proud of. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this UTSA team right now. I, I know there's a little bit of frustration among uh, some of the fan base, but um, – they just started off with a tough schedule with all these P5s back-to-back-to-back. So once they move into conference play here, hopefully they can uh, get some wins on the board. Yeah, Joe, you know, the Roadrunners remain winless. And last week I thought that this one could remain close. But, you know, one thing that I I uh, neglected to account for is that Skylar Thompson is a really uh, – he's a really solid Big 12 quarterback. He's a he's a great dual threat as he scored once in the year and once on the ground. And, and for UTSA fans to transition to their quarterback situation, they're just hoping to find a quarterback, you know, because it, it's like rinse and repeat. You come here and they say the same thing each week. You know, one week you feel like Cordell Grundy may be the guy, and next week you feel like, all right, maybe we should go to DJ Gillings. The fact of the matter is this, both of them both show glimpses of what it could be the guy, but 
when you have two quarterbacks, you really don't have one. So they've got to just stick with it and ride one guy out. But, you know, first things first, the Roadrunners need the victory in, in the in the worst way, and maybe that will happen for them in conference plays. You know, they did start off with a really tough schedule that, you know, probably would have made any quarterback look rough. I think on Twitter, at least, there's a section of the UTSA faithful who are not super thrilled with what Frank Wilson's doing uh, right now with, you know, they didn't really necessarily meet expectations last year uh, off to an 0-3 start in this season. Um, what do you think of where Frank Wilson has this program right now? So I'm, I'm really torn because I don't want to just, you know, UTSA was a program that they, they kind of for lack of a better phrase, they exceeded expectations. You know, when they had Larry Coker, you know, he really built that thing from the ground up and, and got them to, you know, looking like this may be a program that's going to be uh, on the rise there in Texas. And, and I don't necessarily know that it's fair to just come down on Frank Wilson. Like we've been noting, you know, this was a really tough schedule. So you, I guess you couldn't expect it more than the 0-3 start. But, uh, you know, from the fans' perspective, maybe you want your team to be a little more competitive. I just, you know, I don't want to keep belaboring that point, but I, I'm, I just think that as when it comes to quarterbacks, you got to just establish a guy and ride him out. So maybe that, um, you know, UTSA fans have, have a reason for gripe. But outside of that, you can't expect much more than this. So uh, I, I don't think it's time to just abandon ship on Frank Wilson. I have to agree with you there. Um, things could certainly be worse, and it's hard to judge, um, you know, how well, how good the team actually is when you have the schedule uh, this tough to open the year. But um, another team that um, I'm a little confused by their performance, um, but overall playing relatively well right now. Florida Atlantic beat Bethune Cookman uh, 49 to 28 over the weekend. Devin Singletary uh, scored a school record five rushing touchdowns. FAU got off to a great start, but kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit moving forward in this game. I think the defense needs to take a little bit of a step forward, um, giving up the kind of performance that they did to uh, Bethune-Cookman's quarterback. But uh, a little bit of a step forward would be great for them. But with 376 yards with 11 different rushers on the ground, um, that's really what I've personally been looking for from this FAU offense. Yeah, Joe, you know, the lane train looks like it's back on the tracks. <clears throat> Excuse me, not as I go there and cough. It uh, looks like they're back on track with a win over Bethune-Cookman, but defensively, I'll have to go ahead and, and call myself out here. You know, I heading into the season, I really thought that this team defensively had a chance to be not only one of the best defenses in the Conference USA, but one of the best defenses in uh, G5 football, and quite frankly, that just hasn't happened yet. Uh, Jalen Young was hurt and couldn't play, so, you know, you have to account for that. But they let uh, a dual-threat quarterback who I talked about last week in Acavius Williams account for four touchdowns. Uh, he is, I know you, you say, hey, they played against Bethune-Cookman, who is this guy? He was a four-star prospect. He was recruited by the likes of Florida State and others, so he's a talented guy, but he was out there essentially playing by himself against the FAU defense. And, and you'd like to see the Owls, you know, they jump out of that lead, just kind of just take the team out, you know, don't let him, don't let him have, you know, any hope of coming back, especially against a team that's, that's, uh, you know, from the MEAC and, and, uh, the FCS level. You just want to see him establish themselves and, and put a, put together a blowout victory, especially heading into UCF week. But, you know, all things considered, they get the win. Devin Singletary, school record five touchdowns. Uh, well, look at their matchup against UCF going forward, but I just, from a, from a personal perspective, as someone who's going to be at that game this Friday, uh, I would have liked to have seen them, just really stomp out uh, the Wildcats. Sure, and um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the defense 
been a little bit of a disappointing performance so far. Um, haven't quite seen what um, I was really looking forward to seeing out of Aziz Ashair, um, the rest of that defense as well. Um, I think they'll kind of pull it together moving forward. Like last year, they kind of took a little bit too long to really kick it into gear before conference play started. But um, I think in this game, we saw what we were really hoping for for Devin Singletary. And I think he's just kind of shown that, you know, um, with his size and his strength, he can punch it in if you get him remotely close to the end zone. So um, I think, you know, just motor has been so fantastic and hopefully he continues to be so. Um, but let me kind of derail here, but we don't have to spend too much time about this, but you brought up a question or a point rather that I have questions about and you might be able to answer some questions considering, um, you know, you've been in Florida for a little bit and you know a little bit more about these teams. Um, you mentioned Cookman's quarterback being a former four-star guy uh, and then he ended up at uh, at an FCS school in, in Cookman there. And then we also kind of talked a little bit earlier in the summer about um, – the great recruit who was really enamored with uh, Florida A and M. Um, what do you think it is about? Yeah, uh, Kayvon, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, what do you think it is about these programs that uh, you know really makes these high level kids fall in love with them? Wow, Joe, that um, it, it's kind of it's a bit of a nuanced question. You know, in, in specificity to those two programs. Mm-hmm. Um, not to, you know, get too deep here, but those are both, um, HBCUs for those of you who don't know, um, historically black college and universities. And I, I, I don't want to say that that played a factor in, in, uh, in, in Acavius Williams. I, I think he just ended there by happenstance because he's, um, Bethune Cookman's located in Daytona Beach and he's, mm-hmm. he's from not too far down the road. Um, but for Tavon Thibodeau, you know, he said as much on Twitter, so I don't feel as if I'm speaking out of turn here and that he wanted to visit a historically black college and university and get that experience. So it wasn't necessarily a, a Florida thing there. Um, as far as the, the, uh, the G5s, uh, FIU, FAU, UCF, uh, USF being able to, to kind of attract bigger recruits. One of the things I think about it, Joe, is, you know, it's, it's a nice life down here in Florida. Sure. <laughs> Not to rub it in for our, 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 you know, neighbors who are up there in the north. You know, I went to grad school in Chicago, so I know what that life is. Uh, why would you, when it's January and you can go to the pool or go to the beach or it's, you know, negative five and snowing, that's kind of a, a easy choice. Uh, and also, you know, the schools down here as well, and, and I want to include Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman in there. Uh, they're solid schools, you know, they're great <laughs> campuses, and, and the schools are really growing. So I, I think when you kind of get that, it, you get that level of recruit on campus, uh, it, it's, it's an easy sell. Fair enough. And, I, you know, I don't know why kids don't want to come up north when the seasons change. You immediately get uh, debilitating cold, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> Case in point, uh, my co is struggling here with uh, with that. So <laughs> I'm popping Dayquil, getting crazy at uh, 930 in the morning where I am. But uh, we got one more game to kind of review here. FIU 63, UMass 24. James Morgan and Sean Darius Phillips both had two touchdowns. Like what I've seen out of that offense so far this year. Uh, biggest difference between this 2017 FIU team or this 2018 FIU team and the 2017 FIU team. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this one too much. You know, I'll spend more time on FIU heading into their matchup with UM. Uh-huh. Uh, overall, good win. Wasn't flawless. A uh, couple turnovers and a couple penalties. But as you mentioned, James Morgan did a great job. Uh, Maurice Alexander, a guy uh, also as well who had a nice game. To answer your question, the biggest difference, here's three things that I, that I think of off the top. 
One, the amount of death that Butch, Butch Davis has brought in is just tremendous, and that's that's what he does. You know, you can go back to his days in Miami uh, when you check the the two deep and even the three deep roster. Um, excuse me, the the death chart with his old Miami teams. You're talking about Hall of Famer into Pro Bowler into NFL player. So he's a guy who's a who's a hell of a recruiter, um, and he's he's Butch. He he's mentioned this to. Uh, this to us in post game the past two games that he's playing 11 and 12 guys across the offensive and defensive lines. So th- that just speaks to the depth. Um, point two would be it's not just the Alex Magoo and uh, Thomas Owen show. Uh, Magoo, you know, he was a much maligned quarterback. Uh, he wasn't necessarily a favorite among FIU fans. Uh, so much so, I'll give you an example, Joe. Um, before I, I uh, went inside the stadium Saturday, I decided to stop by tailgate and talk to a couple fans. And they were loudly talking about how, uh, you know, Magoo had a heck of a year last year and they were on his bandwagon, but the first three years they wanted the guy gone. Mm-hmm. The reason I mentioned loudly is because Alex Magoo's parents couldn't have been more than 25 yards away from us. <laughs> So that, that shows you how bold they are. And, uh, and Thomas Owens, uh, he's a guy who through the first five games of the season last year had 60 catches. So, you know, he really was the bread and butter of that offense. Now they just have, they have a much more, uh, uh, a spread out offense in terms of guys are touching the ball. And, and the third thing, Joe, is speed. You know, that Florida talent, when you get guys who are running 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, and 4-6 uh, across the board, that's a huge difference. Those are the three things I would say from last year to this year's team. Florida's produced one or two good recruits, right? Uh, a couple. Yeah. couple. <laughs> um, you know, it seems all these teams have these great kids from Florida, and it seems like, you know, the state, there's just no, there's no end to these great players. So it's, it's certainly making college football more entertaining. Um, but one thing that does not make college football more entertaining is when games get canceled. Uh, USF versus USM, I should say, versus App State was canceled uh, due to Hurricane Florence. No makeup has been scheduled. Um, however, USM could add another game in early December, but no official word yet. And here's the thing with that. I feel like uh, they will end up scheduling another game because given how they're playing and how their schedule is ultimately going to play out, I do feel like they're going to need that extra game to achieve bowl eligibility this year. I'm, I'm right there with you. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, you know, especially in will transition in this, into this, uh, uh, their quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. USM needs all the wins they can get because, uh, nothing's going to be with you. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, you kind of brought it up um, with Quadra Griggs. Looks like he is back from suspension. Um, he's been officially reinstated by Southern Miss. So I'll just point blank ask: Do you think he gets a shot to win the job back from Jack Abraham? Short answer: Yes. You know, I, I felt like I was almost belaboring this point the past couple of weeks, and you know, consistently bringing up Quadra Griggs. Has he played his last game at USM? Jack Abraham has a chance to kind of shut the door on his career. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that he was reinstated this week, and I'm not saying that his suspension, you know, lacked legitimacy. I'm just saying that, you know, it's it's time you realize that hey, he's he's paid his his penance, he served his due, and, and he'll be back uh, with the team. Uh, I absolutely absolutely believe he gets a shot to win his job back, and and you know, the young. Uh, Jack Abraham's going to have a chance to to kind of uh, you know keep his name in, in contention this week, but uh, Griggs is a really talented player. He won a lot of games with his team, and he's and he's played really well. So uh, I, not only do I think he, he gets a shot, I think he deserves a shot to win his job back. 
whether or not he does, uh, we'll see with, with USM moving forward in their schedule. Another game that got canceled was Marshall versus South Carolina. Um, not sure if there are any makeup plans on either end for that one as both North Carolina and South Carolina are literal disaster zones right now and safety, of course, taking priority over football. Um, but we'll keep you updated on that. Um, you know, in terms of making up that one, I don't personally think that that's going to be necessary because the way things are kind of shaken out right now, um, I don't think Marshall is necessarily going to need another game to achieve bowl eligibility. I think this kind of makes things a little interesting moving forward if uh, FAU is not able to uh, win as many conference games as we thought they were going to. Um, so that, you know, just in terms of achieving CUSA East's spot in the league title game, I think this makes things a little more interesting because Marshall's ultimately going to have one less game, you know, on their record. That's a fair point, Joe. I wasn't even thinking about it from that perspective. Uh, I hope I don't uh, upset Gamecock Nation, but the perspective I was taking it from is that South Carolina doesn't want to make up this game because that's a very dangerous game for uh, for Gamecock fans. Uh, Marshall's a very talented team, so I, I think that they'll, uh, I'm not saying they're running, but I, I don't think they'll necessarily be in a rush to uh, make up this game late in the year. No, it certainly doesn't seem that way. Um, but with the way Isaiah Green's playing right though, I, I really thought that Marshall had a good shot to win this game. So I think that would have been a huge boost to their resume. Absolutely. Um, all right. With that, we will move into the week four previews on Friday night in Orlando. This is the game that we've been hyping since you know, the end of last season, really. FAU heading to number 16 UCF at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Um, I, at this point, FAU has not really met my expectations in terms of on the field quality. UCF is playing like, you know, if not one, if not the best G5 program in the nation, certainly one of them. Um, so I think the Knights are going to be able to take this one. Um, I think FAU is certainly going to put up a decent fight. But right now, I just think UCF's the better team, unfortunately, for Conference USA. Sure, Joe. You know, and Alex, and I'll be there live to see it. It's going to run down a quick few points on this game. You know, for FAU, they're going to have to get that they're going early. The best defense against UCF and, and their, you know, uh, outstanding quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, is to keep them on the sideline. Uh, no turnovers. UCF's offense is, is too lethal to provide second and third chances. Three key guys uh, for the Owls, D, Jalen Young, who we believe will play. He sat uh, the game out against Bethune-Cookman. Shelton Lewis and Rashad Smith. They'll be tasked with slowing down UCF's litany of receivers and, and the dynamic Otis Anderson and, and uh, Adrian Killings out of the backfield. For UCF, you know, we talk about it. It's an embarrassment of riches, just how talented they are on offense, and they have a, a ton of names, whether it's Gabriel Davis, Dredrick Snelson, um, Milton, Killings. You know, they, they go two and three deep in almost every skill position on offense. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be it's gonna be a tough matchup for FAU, and as you mentioned off the top, they haven't exactly looked as good as necessarily they were hyped to be or maybe we expected them to be. Um, overall, I, I, I do think it's going to come down to just how well Devin Singletary can – can rush the football against the UCFD, uh, but I'm, I'm going with the Knights uh, to win this ball game, maybe by about uh, ten points or so. I don't think this one's going to be a blowout that some people are expecting, especially uh, UCF uh, UCF fans on Twitter. But uh, overall, they will get to win. Yeah, I think this game's going to be relatively close. But let me ask you something: as someone who follows UCF football uh, closely, 
you mentioned that Devin Singletary is going to have to have a, a big game in order to keep the Owls in this one. What have you seen out of UCF's rushing defense so far this year? The, the UCF defense as a whole, Joe, is yeah. still a work in progress. It's year one under Randy Shannon, and you know I think everyone, I don't care what, what level of football fan you are, everyone knows the inspirational story of Shaquem Griffin uh, taking his talents to the NFL, and they lost him. But they also lost first-round pick, a uh, cornerback in Mike Hughes. So it's, it's going to be a work in progress. They have... Uh, UCF has a couple strong defensive tackles up the middle, and they have an outstanding middle linebacker in Pat Chizinski. He was a guy who I wasn't necessarily sold on um, last year, um, but he, he, he really balled out, had over 120 tackles. He, he's a guy who's all over the field. It's, it's not that FAU will struggle to run run the ball, because I think the opportunities will be there. It's just that the, the UCF defense overall, if, if you're not going to be able to pass against them, because they did take some losses there, um, the strength of their defense is up the middle. So that that's that's kind of the book on the UCF defense. And overall, I think Singletary, you know, I don't necessarily see a hundred yard game out of him, but if they can get him going, it's going to happen early. That's going to be the best shot for for FAU to get him going against Randy Shannon's defense. I would tend to agree with you. Um, we'll see what happens. It's the big one Friday night, um, Saturday. Afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Western Kentucky heads to Muncie to face Riley Neal and the Ball State Cardinals. Uh, Ball State favored by three in this one with this game on ESPN3. Uh, I'm not super optimistic. I think uh, what, you know, Neal in particular, he's just so tough and what he's been able to do the last two years or so, despite, you know, the rest of his team not really giving him too much help. Um, but this is a Ball State team that took a top 10 Notre Dame team down to the wire. Uh, their one win so far, they blew out a FCS team in Central Connecticut. Um, I think that Ball State's going to end up walking away with the win here, and Western Kentucky's going to move to 0-4, much to my chagrin. But, you know, I, I think this is just a really slow climb back up for the Hilltoppers. And overall, I think, you know, Ball State's a good enough team to be able to uh, recognize Western's weaknesses. And overall, you know, Western, it, just to put themselves into position to win, they have to play perfect mistake-free football, and they're just not doing that right now. Yeah, Joe, you know, I don't want to draw the ire of uh, Western Kentucky fans uh, any more than I done already this year on the podcast by picking Maine to win, and, and, and they did. But I, I firmly believe it's now or never for, for Mike Sanford's team. Uh, on previous podcasts, I've talked about seeing the, the 2015 Knights, and I even mentioned it earlier in this podcast, go winless. And that was a team that had multiple NFL players on it. I make that point to say it's not that Western Kentucky is lacking talent. But, you know, sometimes when things kind of get started slow, they can just snowball from there. And and in order to avoid that tailspin, I, I firmly believe they have to get a win now versus Ball State. Uh, Quinn Jernigan, Mike on Dean, you want to get them going early and, and just win. Uh, I know you're picking Ball State, and uh, I'm actually going to be the, the optimist here. I, I think Western Kentucky, like I said, it's now or never, and I think when their back's against the wall, they're going to have to respond. So I'm going to pick them to get the W, their first one of the year. Hopefully so. You know, I think the difference between Western Kentucky fans and uh, some other fan bases, when when some fan bases are upset with their team or upset with, you know, something that's not going their way, they will lash out and get angry. Um, Western Kentucky fans will just claim they were UK or Louisville fans if Western starts doing bad. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, not all of them, but uh, that's, you know, certainly the way it goes sometimes. 
Um, moving forward, we got Virginia Tech heading to Old Dominion at uh, 3.30 Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. Um, with the way Old Dominion is playing right now and uh, how good Virginia Tech has looked, um, they're 2-0 and and a obviously a top 15 team in the country. Um, it certainly makes sense that they're favored by, you know, four touchdowns in this game. And, you know, hopefully Old Dominion can keep it to less than that. But I think Virginia Tech's going to handle their business in this one. Yeah, Joe, I'm just going to be really quick on this one. Uh, I, I, Virginia Tech's going to get the win, but what I want to see is, is Steve Williams. I want to see him go the whole way. I don't want to see him split reps with Blake, Blake LaRusso because you have to know what you have in this kid. Uh, mm-hmm. So they need to go on and just do their due diligence on him because if he's not going to be the guy going forward, you know, you need to know that now. So I, I personally, I'd like to see him, you know, if healthy, play the rest of the season and you figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, but overall, you know, Tech wins. Yeah. Um, we have another kind of crazy regional rivalry, if if you can call it that. We have uh, FIU uh, going to the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami on ESPN2 at 3.30 Eastern time. Uh, Butch Davis heading back to where he spent uh, several years as the head coach of the Hurricanes. Uh, Miami favored by 26 and a half. That's the uh, line on the internet here, but I, I think Miami is just a little too good for the Panthers right now, but you know, overall, I'm liking where FIU is as a whole and as a program. But I, I think this one's going to go the Hurricanes' way. Yeah, Joe, and, and you know, we kind of joke about that security detail that you may need for going to Denton. Uh, I kind of drew the ire of Hurricane Twitter, and I said that you know this game may be close because the Hurricanes haven't exactly looked you know phenomenal the first three games, and and mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to walk that back in the sense that I think I was comparing them to the Hurricane teams of the old, and that was my expectation of them. So it's not necessarily that they haven't looked phenomenal; it's that they they haven't played up to that level of their number eight ranking. That aside, uh, Butch Davis post game. Uh, last week reminded all of us in the press room that uh, this isn't his return to Miami as he, he played against uh, UM four times in North Carolina. Uh, in, in my opinion, you know, he's really trying to downplay this theme of his return. He just wants to see his ball club grow. Uh, for, for FIU, here's the deal. Uh, this is going to be the test to see where they are as a program. You know, they, the Indiana game was one that you know, you take away the Morgan pick six and, and, and a couple mistakes there, and they could have won. Uh, for, or for FIU to win, it's going to be three things. One, James Morgan has to protect the football. Two, get their talented run game going. And it's a shame that uh, Anthony Jones, you know, who was, who was shot in that senseless drive by shooting, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. He's not going to get a chance to play against uh, his hometown team. But, you know, they've got to get the run game going on first down. They can't fall behind the chains. And, and lastly, the pass defense is going to have a chance to make a statement. Uh, you know, there are a unit that struggled last year. They struggled against Indiana, and they struggled in the first half against ODU. Uh, they can't make they, – excuse me, they can't give up big plays. Uh, for UM, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer are extremely talented players, and, and it's going to be a chance for the deep uh, FIU D-line to show that they can hang. But uh, overall, uh, it, it may be too much. Did either of us say Butch Jones or Bush Davis? Neither of us said Butch Jones. It is Butch Davis. Okay, that's yeah. I, I mean, I know it's Butch Davis. I just sometimes I have a Freudian slip and say <laughs> say the other thing. Um, but you know, I, I I tend to agree with you here. I think 
you know, Miami's going to end up taking this game back and uh, hopefully, you know, speedy recovery for those guys that were injured in that shooting on the FIU side. Uh, Charlotte is going to head to UMass at 3.30 Eastern this week. UMass favored by nine. I think this one's going to be a little interesting because neither of these programs have looked particularly amazing so far. Um, we kind of mentioned earlier that I think three wins would be vastly exceeding expectations for Brad Lambert this year. Um, I don't know. Other than, you know, playing really well against a so-so FCS opponent in week one, UMass hasn't done anything that's made me think, uh, you know, they're worth going out of my way to watch. Um, but I think uh, in this one, I, I'm actually going to pick Charlotte here. I think they are, you know, from what they're showing me, they're hanging in there against, um, you know, they're they're one of the best of the worst right now, if you can call it right, if you can call them that. Um, the guys that they're putting on the field are turning in solid days, and they're just executing a little bit better than some of these other bottom dwellers. Um, and you know they showed that against Old Dominion last week. So um, you know I think they're going to move to uh, three wins. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to go on record and say it. Uh, three wins for Brad Lambert's club, and his name should be off the hot seat for good. Um, you know that I I know. You and I both didn't see anything close to three wins. Maybe saw maybe winless or a one-win team coming into the year. They've got a great chance against a UMass team that I saw up close last year, and you said that you know they're not anyone that you need to rush out of your way to go and see, and, and they're not as someone who saw them last week. Their defense is atrocious, and it, it, it needs a ton of help. Uh, it's going to be a great chance for Chris Reynolds to get going and Ben LeMay as well. Uh, the defense has to stop Andy Isabella. The UMass does have a very talented wide receiver um, in the junior, but I think Charlotte goes into New England and gets a road win. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm just gonna say I disagree with you in thinking that uh, three wins is gonna save Brad Lambert's job, but uh, okay. you know, and I, it certainly shouldn't anyway, because that would be more of a statement about uh, you know that athletic department as a whole. But um, I think they'll get the win this weekend. Um, I also think North Texas is gonna get the win this weekend against Liberty as they head to Lynchburg to face the one and one Flames. North Texas is favored by two scores in that game. Um, and, you know, the way that Mason Fine is playing and the way that entire offense is playing, the way that entire defense is playing, the way that entire special teams unit is playing, um, I don't think any G5 team, um, you know, at least outside of, like, maybe a UCF or a Boise State can really stop North Texas right now. I think they are, um, you know, one of the best G5s in the country, and I think they're going to continue to play like it. Joe, I'm right there with you. As I look at my watch, it's like we're up against the clock. We've been uh, running a little bit longer, so I'm going to make this quick. Uh, uh, Liberty fell back to earth and after getting uh, and got pounded by by Army. Uh, I expect nothing, nothing less. Uh, mean Green, Mason Fine is a hell of a quarterback, and, and you know Liberty quarterback Stephen Calvert can sling it in his own right, but they just don't have the talent to compare to uh, to North Texas, so they win easily. <laughs> we're in agreement on that. Um... Louisiana Tech is heading to Death Valley this week in what is obviously going to be kind of a tough day for them. LSU, the number six team in the nation, favored by three scores. Uh, you can catch that one at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Um, you know, Jamar Smith, I think he's looked good at times. I think the running, the, the rushing attack for the Texters has looked good at times, but you know, when you're talking about this LSU team, um, they jumped six spots in the AP poll this week from 12 to six. Um, 
the way they played against Auburn really impressed me. The way they played against Miami really impressed me. Um, I think, you know, this team is in playoff contention right now for a reason, and I don't think uh, Louisiana Tech, you know, sorry, but I don't think they have a shot in this game. Yeah, Joe, in, in this battle of the Bayou State, you know, Tiger fans have to be thrilled that they appear to have a QB in Joe Burrow. That's something that LSU fans have been clamoring for for years. That may have been the difference between them having a couple more national championships and uh, Nick Saban just adding to his uh, his dynasty down there in Tuscaloosa. For Tech fans, you know, it's going to be Jay Barrett and, and Jaquist Dancy. Uh, I think they can keep it close for a half, but the Tiger D is just too much. Uh, you know, Grant Delphit, uh, Devin White, those are two extremely good players in uh, LSU roles. Yep. Uh, Rice is heading to Southern Miss in Hattiesburg. Uh, ESPN Plus is where you can catch this game at uh, 6 p.m. local time in uh, Mississippi there. Um, this game intrigues me because Southern Miss is favored by two scores, but uh, with the way that they played against UL Monroe, I wasn't, you know, super thrilled with the performance in the go- from the Golden Eagles. I think Rice is a program that's, you know, trending upward despite only having one win on their resume so far, but I like the way uh, Sean Stankovich is throwing the ball. I like the way Emmanuel Sukpa is running the ball. Um, defense needs to play a little bit better, but I think we're in for a good game. Um, I, I, I'm not really sure what to think of this, honestly. I don't know who to pick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a, honestly it's a pick. You know, I'm really excited and really eager to see this one. Rice is upset in, in, in previous weeks. They could easily be undefeated. Sean Stankovich, uh, you know, really talented quarterback. I think Aaron Cephas will be uh, the go-to guy for him as usual mm-hmm. through the air. For the Golden Eagles, you know, they really need this one. And, and for Jack Abraham, as we talked about, it's going to be his chance to kind of hold off Quadra Griggs. And the pressure's on him. Honestly, the pressure's on Abraham uh, to show that this is his job and he can take this, this, uh, this team going forward. Uh, I honestly think Southern Miss wins at home, but not by much. I'll say maybe a, maybe a field goal much at, uh, at, at max. It's all going to fall on Parker Seanfield then, the preseason uh, Conference USA Special Teams Player of the Year, I believe. So that'll be a good game. Um Another one on ESPN Plus, Battle of uh, Two Texas G5s, UTSA uh, hosting Texas State in the Alamo Dome, UTSA favored by eight. Um, I don't know enough about Texas State to really comment on, you know, their chances for this game. All I can say is I think, you know, UTSA has looked good at times. I think they're going to take some lessons from, uh, you know, the tough losses that they've had against the P5 competition that they've played. And I think they're going to be hungry for their first win. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Roadrunners. Yeah, Joe, I'll jump in here with Texas State. Uh, Willie Jones III is a hell of a dual threat quarterback. He's a guy who, uh, I believe he's their leading rusher, about 185 yards, uh, on the year. Uh, Brian London on D is a guy who can play, and, and it's, it's not going to be easy for UTSA to get the win, get their first win over Everett Withers Ball Club. Uh, my gut says Texas State, but I, I honestly can't pick one just yet. Uh, for UTSA, you know, I've, I've been saying this all year. One quarterback, establish one, get him going, get him in rhythm, but, uh, I'm taking Texas State here. Interesting. All right. Um, I think this next game is what I actually thought was going to be Conference USA's best bet for a win over P5 heading into the year. Uh, but, I mean, we already saw that happen with North Texas beating Arkansas. But uh, Marshall hosts NC State this weekend at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. 
I think I'm sticking with my original prediction in that I think Marshall is going to win this game. I think uh, if I'm if I'm unless I'm mistaken, both of these teams kind of came off of weeks where they had their games moved. Um, and I think that, you know, any disadvantage that would come from that is going to fall on both teams right now. But I am extremely impressed with the way that this Marshall passing offense in particular is playing. Isaiah Green has really looked comfortable as their QB1. Uh, Tyree Brady is fantastic. Um, Tyler King's played pretty well uh, in the rushing game as well. So uh, I'm going to stick with the Thundering Herd here. Really strong P5 versus G5 matchup here for for Marshall. They're going to have to account for Kelvin Harmon. Ryan Finley feels like he's been in Raleigh for six years now. Uh, for, you know, for the herd, it, we already know it's going to be the Tyree Brady and Isaiah Green show. Uh, I want to pick Marshall as a CUSA guy. I, I would like to pick Marshall, but I think Ryan Finley is going to show that he's one of the better quarterbacks in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and uh, I think Wolfpack gets the win here. All right, two disagreements in a row. Now it's a podcast. <laughs> uh, but to kind of wrap it up, we'll talk a little bit about the battle of the winless programs right now with New Mexico State heading to El Paso to face the Miners at uh, uh, 5.30 Mountain Time. Um, not too much about either of these teams is particularly intriguing me right now. I think New Mexico State has looked a little bit better um, with how – Matt Romero's played. Um, I think it says a lot that I, unless I'm completely mistaken, I believe Kai Loxley has more rushing yards on the year than any other player in, you know, on either of these teams with 193 yards on 47 carries. And, uh, that's really strange to me. Um, I, I don't, I think New Mexico State's going to end up winning this game just from what I've seen from them. I think they're a little bit more of a complete team. I think they're a little bit, tougher to stop than UTEP's offense but um, you know I think both of these programs desperately need a win right now and uh, I think that uh, UTEP is unfortunately going to be walking away 0-4 here Joe in a game that I'm Confident will draw 0.0 rating, uh, in the Nielsen ratings for the, for the 50 fans who, who, who will be watching this one. Uh, what you're gonna wanna watch for is quarterbacks. I'm a, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a Kyle Oxley fan. Uh, I think he's a very talented dual threat guy, especially with his legs, but probably with his legs more so than, than his arm at this point, and Quadras Wadley will, will also play well. For the Aggies, you know, they're going with Josh Atkins. His era begins now as a true freshman will get his first start. Uh, Jason Huntley and John Boone are gonna have to step their game up with the, with the freshman to help him out, but in my mind, I think this is UTEP's best chance to win, and I think uh, Kyle Oxley will have a big game on the ground, and I think UTEP w- w- will get their first W of the year. You think UTEP will get the first W of the year? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know you, yeah, it's a podcast, right? Cause I guess we're in disagreement again. I know you had to repeat that just to make sure you heard me correctly. I know you're a little under the weather, Joe. So you're like, yeah, uh, you say UTEP? Yes. Uh, I think Kai Lockley has a big game on the ground. You know, just really quick, uh, the reason I'm picking UTEP, it's right there for the minors. You know, they had a good offensive game against UNLV. They had uh, what was a reasonably solid defensive game against Tennessee. Just got to put it all together here. 
fair enough. Um, you know, but no, it's fine. My feelings aren't hurt or anything. Uh, not at all. <clears throat> Joe, you, listen. I, I think after uh, the past week, you know that I've got your back more than uh, more than anybody. You know, no. I, I will be your personal security detail in Denton. I know. I, I know that. I know that to be true. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully we'll get we'll get that live we'll get that live show or, or something lined up in the next few weeks. Um, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. If you made it to the end of this one, uh, promise I will take all the drugs and be better next week. Um, so moving forward, I will just say that uh, just keep an eye on these every Thursday. Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and just check UnderdogDynasty.com every single day for more fantastic G5 football coverage. Not just about Conference USA, but the American and the Sun Belts and uh, some of the service academies as well. But uh, with that, I will leave you. I've been Joe Lonergan. Happy football watching, everybody. Um, Eric Henry, say goodbye to the people. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and uh, hopefully uh, I can make it out of Hard Rock Stadium uh, uh, alive after, you know, uh, drawing the eye of Hurricane fans. So you can follow me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, enjoy another great weekend of CUSA football. I'll see you next week, guys. At this point, do not follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks.